And I've titled my message tonight, When God, when God is Silent. Title my message, When God, when God is Silent. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to look at God's Word and just continually see all the promises that we can see of God. From the Old to the New Testament, just continual promises that, we'll, that, that we see that God, God reveals to us. Years and years ago, I think, um, and I just, re- just started thinking about this uh, just earlier today. My, my son Ethan went through a season, I, th- I think he must have been two or three. And he would just run up to me out of the blue, and he would stop in front of me, and he would point, and he would say, you promised, and then he'd run off. I was like, okay, but what did I promise you? <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. And then, he, you know, days would come by and he'd run up to me and he'd say, you promised. And he did this about two or three times throughout that season. I have no idea what he would, meant at that time. But apparently, I promised him something and he was waiting for it. And I was thinking about that, that how... That, that kids, when they hear a promise from their parents, I'm, I'll promise I'm going to do this. I promise I'm going to do that. Whatever the case may be, they are going to completely believe it and remember. I, for whatever reason, <laughs> I did not for, remember what it was that I promised him that I was going to do or give him or whatever the case may be. And you know, one thing that I've discovered when we look at the promises of God in his word, you can always rest assured that God will come through with his promises. God will come through in his promises. There's going to be times where it's not going to make any sense. The timing won't make sense. The circumstance won't make sense. The relationship struggle won't make sense. But can I tell you, God's promises, he will be true to his promises. But I want to talk about this season that many of us probably have gone through. I know I've gone through in a time or two where we feel like when God is silent. You know, when you, when you open up the book of Matthew... When you open up the book of Matthew, the New Testament, it's a huge shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. A lot of things have changed. Everything is different. It's a different atmosphere. It's a different world from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Rome is now the dominant power. They have taken over. There's been a a change in power. It's shifted from the east to to the west. Um, There is now a king that's on site a king from the descendant of Esau, King Herod. Herod, They called him Herod the Great. He wasn't that great, but that's who he was. Um, The priests were no longer from the descendants of Aaron. It was very different. They were were really kind of hired, and we can see how, as you look through through the Gospels, you see how Christ challenged the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It became very political. So the scene is completely changing. A lot has changed. And see, because at the end of the book of the, uh, of the, old, at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, he finishes his words, and there's something that happens. It's called the intertestament period, or what may, may, many of you may refer to as the 400 years of silence. And it's called this because between, at the end of Malachi to Matthew chapter 1, there is literally 400 years where we don't have any biblical accounts. We don't have anything written down of what has happened. Now, many things have happened, but for 400 years, biblically, we don't have anything that's in Scripture that tells us the things that happened. Now, there's a lot of incredible things that happened. Towards the end of the Old Testament, you had the Babylonians that were, were uh, kind of in, in, they're in charge. They had do- dominated everything, and then Later on, during as we're closing out the Old Testament, the Persians come on the scene and they, they destroy the, the Babylonians and take over. And that's where Ezra, that where Nehemiah and Ezra show up and they go back to Jerusalem, begin to rebuild the temple. 
And then, all, then, then of course, as, as Malachi finishes his, his challenging words, there's the 400 years begins. Now, history obviously still continues. That's where um, Philip and then his son, um, Alexander the Great, steps into the picture, and he conquers a lot of the world, and then his kingdom gets divided. And then we get closer and closer to the beginning of the New Testament, and by this time, the Romans are in charge But even though there was 400 years of silence, can I tell you, God was not taking a break. God just didn't sit back and just say, you know what, for the next 400 years, this is great. I'm just going to kick my my feet back and I'm just going to chill and coast. Can I tell you, God God was still in control. Though it may have been silent, though there may have been questioning, maybe by the people of God, he was still in control. In fact, when we look at the book of Galatians chapter uh, 4, verse 4, Paul says this. But then the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I want you to see what it says there. The set time had fully come, God sent his son. You see, God was still in control and he was preparing for the right moment for Jesus to come on the scene And we all know that story where Christ came to establish a new covenant with his people, to to establish a new contract with his people. And so during this time, God was already preparing. And there's moments that we all go through in our life where we feel like we're asking, God, where are you? God, I feel like right now it's just silent. I don't hear you speaking. When that tragedy happened up in Dallas where those police officers were killed, I listened to a prayer of one of the church leaders in Dallas, and she said this so powerfully. She said, Lord, we're going to trust you even when we can't see you. Because there's moments that we just don't understand why things are happening the way, the way they are happening, but we've got to trust him. We've got to trust him when he's silent. And there's, there's many opportunities, many things in the scripture that we can find that where, where we feel like we're, we're wondering or we can ask the question, God, where are you in this? And I want to talk about three different situations, three different people that I believe we can see where we can learn some truths of what God was maybe trying to teach them during that moment. That, w- that these moments where we felt that God, maybe they felt that God was silent. And maybe it'll, I pray that it'll bless you tonight. The first thing I want to say is that when God, when God closes doors, when God closes doors, I don't know if you've ever had a door slammed on your face. That's very, very humiliating. I've, one time, you know, we, a lot of people don't do this very, uh, very much anymore, but I remember as a youth pastor, I took kids door-to-door witnessing. And we started going to different houses, and we started talk, knocking on the door, and we just started saying, hey, can we pray for you? Is there, is there something we can pray with you about? We're from a church down the street. And I remember uh, taking these kids, and, they, they, and I, I told them what to do. It was now their turn. The youth pastor was going to kind of step back. It was their first opportunity to, 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 to step up and, and knock on the door and talk to whoever answers. And as soon as they said, hey, we're from a church and the guy opened the door, and then he said, well, I'm an atheist, and I don't want to discuss it. And he slammed the door. You should have seen their faces. They were just like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? Pastor Mark, I can't believe you made us do this, you big dummy. You know, they were just crushed. And I just said, well, you know, guys, you know, listen, he may not want to discuss it now, but one of these days, the Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. So he's going to con- discuss it whether he likes to or not. So don't worry about it. 
But being, having the door slammed on your face can be very, very humiliating. And right here, I want to talk about a door that was closed. In Genesis chapter 6, we have the story, the story of Noah. We have the story of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, And Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Noah is described with three phases. It was pretty amazing to think about that. He was righteous, he was blameless, and he walked with God. They all have, they all have an emphasis, but basically they tell the same story because he was a man who walked in, in righteousness with God, and he was a part of a world that was full of sin. Obviously, we know the story where God was tired of the sin that was in the, in the, in the world, and he destroyed it with the flood. But he found Noah who was righteous, he was blameless, and he walked with God. In other words, he did everything, he did everything right. He did everything right, and God chose him and began to give him specific instructions to build an ark, to prepare to save all the animals, and specifically to save his family, his, his wife, his sons, and his son's wives, as he was called to do this. And in, after he did all that God, after he was given the instructions in, in Genesis 6.22, it said, Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. He was faithful. He did everything that God asked him to do. And then the rains come. In, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Who does it say closed the door? God did. It says that God closed the door. Now, to the people outside, the door of salvation was closed on them. They were a wicked people, and that was closed. To, to Noah and his family, that was the door of preservation. He was, God was saving them. He was rescuing them in that moment. And we all know the story. The Bible says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that on day 41, when the rain stopped, that Noah was able to drop anchor and say, oh, this is great. 40 days, not too bad. Let's get out and just let's go check out what's happened. Absolutely not. It was, it was actually months that they had to stay on the ark. They couldn't just get off, get off. And they remained on the ark for a long time. Some scholars say it was maybe somewhere between 350 to 360 days before they were able to even get off the ark. I want you to think about this. The last thing that we hear God saying is, is that the Lord shut the door. And you move forward through this story they remained on there a long time. Can you imagine the circumstances on the ark? Everyone's thinking it. Can you imagine how bad it smelled in there? Uh, can you just imagine? I don't know, but I'd be getting, a, getting a, you know, find a corner and make a hole and just put my face there so I could hear, get, just get some fresh wind. It probably stunk. It probably smelled horrible. But God shut the door. And there was no conversation by God. There was no um, updates from the Lord. There was no lighthouse to guide them. There was no navigation tools to guide them. They just had to sit there and be patient. And for months, they were on the boat all alone. And the door, the door remained shut. 
We never know what God could be saving us, saving us from when God closes a door. We never know what God can be helping us and protecting us from, even though it hurts when, we don't, when he shuts the door. Even though we want that door to open up, we've prepared for that door to open up, we've worked hard for that door to open up, and even though sometimes God will keep it shut because he has, he has a purpose. And when they hit ground, when they finally hit ground after all those bunts, it doesn't say that immediately that God opened the door. Now, it probably would have been very easy for what if, if, if I, well, let me just keep it to me. If I was on that boat and we hit ground, I would have been the first one starting to take out the nails and banging on that door and get me out of here. You know, there's nowhere, I don't have anywhere else to hide on this boat. Get me out of here. But that didn't happen. They couldn't get out. And you begin to think about it. Why in the world? But they're on land. Why couldn't they get out? Now, I can't prove this. I don't know if this happened. But here's what I was thinking as I was reading this story on Monday over and over and over again. Can you imagine how much mud and just destruction that was around them? Can you imagine if they opened the door on their own time and they began to take out all their material and they began to allow all the animals to get off the boat? A lot of them probably would have started getting stuck in the mud. They probably would have started everything. They, 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 they were getting so stuck in the mud that they weren't able to move. Everything that they worked for, everything that they, all the patience that they had, everything that they endured could have been lost because it wasn't the right time yet. It looked like it was the right time, but the door still remained shut. And see, when God shuts the door on us, don't go looking for a window to crawl through. And it's easy to do that because I've done it. And I've seen God shut a door and I've crawled through a window, then I mess everything up. Listen, you need to be patient even in the silence of God closing the door and not opening the door that you thought should be open. He didn't do that. He kept the door shut. And in Genesis chapter 8, verse 14, it says this, And on the second month of the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, with you. <laughs> I can only imagine when that door opened up, Noah probably took off running and he didn't even look back. He was probably so glad to be free. He probably had enough honeydews, you know, that had to do all over that ark. He was just ready to be free. But he, God opened the door when it was the right time. And what we need to understand is there's going to be moments where we feel like God is silent when he shuts the door. But if we will just be patient and wait on God and wait on his timing, he's going to open up that door at the right moment. So don't be discouraged when God's silent and the door shut. Don't be discouraged when you don't hear him guiding you and you just feel like you're just being tossed to and fro from the wind. God is still in control. The second thing that I want to talk about when God is silent is when God, when God takes it all away. When God takes it all the way. I want, to look at, I want to look at the life of Moses for a second here. Moses, an incredible, incredible story. And in, Mo, Moses, in, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, Moses had already grown. He obviously knew who he was and where he came from. And here's what it says. And when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his people, the Hebrews. At this point, his heart started getting softened because he recognized where he came from. 
And he saw how they were forced into hard labor. He even saw an Egyptian kill a Hebrew, one of Moses' own people. And Moses looked all around, and when he saw that no one was watching, he killed the Egyptian and hid the body, hid his body in the sand. When the king heard about what had happened, he tried to have Moses killed, but Moses fled and went to live in the land of Midian. In the land of Midian. Now, first, let's just kind of look back at Moses' life. Where did he grow up? He grew up in the palace. He grew up in in the best of the best. He grew up, he had it all. He had an amazing life. He probably had the best education. He probably had the best fajitas anybody could buy. He probably had courtside seats to the, you know, the, to the chariot races. He probably had every year, he probably got a new chariot with some spinners on it. I mean, he had everything he wanted. He grew up, he grew up in the palace. But because of his anger and because of his sin, he did something dumb and he had to run off and flee. He had to flee to a place called Midian. Let me just talk about, about Midian for a little bit. Midian is in the middle of the desert. Now think about that with me. From the palace to the desert. That's like, that's like leaving being a Spurs fan and going to being a Dallas Maverick fan. It's just, ugh. No, this doesn't even, no, bring me back over here. He goes from the palace to the desert. He had everything. He had it all. And I'm sure that he probably had a number of conversations with God. He had a lot of things. He had moments where he said, man, I'm in the desert. It stinks. It's hot. There's sand everywhere. I can never get it out of my hair. This is just yuck, you know. He probably had an, you know, just, just, just dire moments where he was questioning and saying, why, God, why did this happen? I had it all. I'm sure many of us have had those moments where we've questioned, why, God, why did this have to happen? I've had it all, and now it's all gone. It's all gone. Don't ever underestimate when God takes things away. Because he, may never give, he might not give it back. That's hard to, to probably swallow. He may not give it back, but there is always going to be a purpose of why he took it away in the first place. It's hard to swallow, but Moses probably lost everything. And you know, you would think, well, how long was he there? Was he hiding out just for about the weekend? Did he go to Midian for the weekend and then go right back to to the palace? Nope. Was he there for like five years and he, you know, then he made everything right and then he walked all back, right back into the palace? Nope. Moses was there for 40 years. 40 years in the desert. You might be thinking, what in the world? What in the world? Why was he there? It just from all that to, to this. But I want you to think for a moment with me. What did he learn? What could he have learned and probably did learn while he was in, in the desert? He had to learn how to survive in the desert. He had to all, all of a sudden become uh, just nomadic. He had to learn how to navigate in the desert. He had to learn how to find water in the desert. He had to learn how to survive all over the desert. This is something that he would not have learned in the palace. He would not have experience on how to endure just the weather and the, and the tough seasons that the desert would bring. 
And little did he know in his life that a few, few uh, more chapters down as you read this story, he's going to have a burning bush experience and God is going to call him to go back to Egypt to lead hundreds of thousands, probably over a million people out of captivity. And where was he going to lead them? Through the desert. He was going to have to lead them through, through the desert. He was going to have to help them find water in the desert. He was going to have to help them guide through the weather of the desert. And I'm convinced today that Moses would have never been able to do what God had called him to do if he didn't have his Midian experience. If he didn't find himself in the desert, even though he felt that God took it all away, everything that he had worked for, everything that he had, he had put his heart into, and God took it away, there was a purpose behind that pain. There was a purpose behind it. You see, to the desert would be a place where God would, would mold and refine and shape Moses into what God wanted him to be and really cultivate a different type of trust. And then on top of that, he was going to have to lead the children of Israel. Now listen, you read the history of the children of Israel. They were no easy group to work with. They were complainers. They were, now first of all, they were all slaves. So they, they were told what to do, where to go, where to work. They lived a life of slavery. So they had the culture of Egypt around them. So they, they didn't know how to fight. They didn't know how to act. And he had to lead them out. And I'm convinced today that his desert experience, his desert experience became a training ground for him to do one of the biggest things, really, that we find in the Old Testament of him leading God's people to the promised land. And it would be years that he would do this and he would navigate them. Listen, was it painful for him? Absolutely. Did he probably have moments where he argued with God? He probably did. But can I tell you, I've discovered in life that God doesn't waste pain. He doesn't waste pain. No matter if you feel like he's taken everything away, God will turn that pain around. Let me share with you just a personal story. Back in 2005, it was just a very trying year for me in ministry. I could share the, the more details of the story later, but, but it was just a, just a tough year. I found myself and my family, we moved to the Dallas area and we were helping with a church plant. An opportunity opened itself up for me to work at a, um, uh, a nonprofit called Education is Freedom, I, I, which I absolutely, absolutely loved. As being a youth pastor, I was on a high school campus in downtown Dallas and I loved every minute of it. My job was to help uh, students get into college and I got thrusted into college preparation for students. And I did that and I, and I loved every minute of it. Little did I know, and again, all at the same time, I'm just going through a tough season in my life. I'm, going through, when, I'm talking about when God takes everything away and you're trying to figure out why this is happening. So I was a part of Education is Freedom. I'm thrusted into the collegiate conversation and I'm learning how to help students get into to a college or a university. Months would go, over a year would pass and Southwestern Assemblies of God University gave me a call Little did I know they wanted to bring me on board to work in their admissions department to help students get into Southwestern Assemblies of God University. It made sense because I'd already started being trained. But I, during that training, can I tell you, I was questioning God. I was asking God, why am I going through this? I should be in full-time ministry. 
but I really was. I just couldn't see it at the moment. So I went into Southwestern, and for those about four, four and a half to five years, I got in, just involved in, in the admissions process, and, and God just gave me favor, and we saw the admissions, um, just the, the enrollment of Southwestern begin to, to increase and became the director of, of undergraduate admissions, and it was just a great season in my life. Now let me advance. God would now move us on after I was there, and God would bring us back here to West Horry Hills. In 2010, Anna and I and my family came back. We, were, we came back to be a part of staff with Pastor Jim in this great church. And little did I know that three years into this, Pastor Jim was going to start talking about, you know, we need to start a school of ministry. We need to start something where we can help people prepare for ministry. Well, long story short, he said, Pastor Mark, what if we were able to become an extension of Southwestern Assemblies of God University? And I said, I, just, I was like this, Pastor, just give me the green light. Those of you that know me, when he gives me a task, I'm like, just, just give me the green light and I'll go get it. You just tell me and I'll go get it. He said, let's do it. Let's do it. And I was able to go up to Southwestern. And, and of course, it, don't hear what I'm not saying. It wasn't only on my shoulders. But can I tell you, all that I had to experience helped to do what God has done here as we have Southwestern Assemblies of God University at San Antonio here. Can I tell you, even though, yeah, God takes things away, there's always, always a purpose. I'm going to ask the keyboards to come on back. The last thing I want to share, last thing I want to share, first thing, first thing I talked about is, you know, when God, of course, when God uh, shuts the door, you know, when God, God shuts the door and, and, uh, when we don't know what God's doing, we just need to trust him to open it at the right time. The last thing I want to share is when God doesn't answer. When God doesn't answer. And when I was thinking about this part, I began to think of an amazing prayer. A prayer that you find in the New Testament. In fact, it happens in a place called Gethsemane. If you ever have been to Israel, I, I had the blessed opportunity to go there and I remember being in where Gethsemane is and just walking around they have it blocked off you can't actually go into the garden area but can I tell you my heart wanted to just crawl in that area and hopefully maybe just maybe I might be in the area where Jesus was but it was a prayer that Christ prayed and here's what it says in Luke chapter 22 verse 39 it's Jesus and this a few disciples Verse uh, 22, verse 39 says, And going, to, going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will, but you will. Then verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This is the second time Jesus has prayed this prayer. And then you read in verse 44, so leaving them again, talking about the disciples, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Do you know that there's no mention of God's response at all? It was just silence. Jesus was praying to his heavenly father, said the same thing three times, and God did not answer. He did not speak. But here's what I want to leave you with tonight. 
the unseen spiritual realm, there is something that is happening in the unseen spiritual realm, even if we don't hear God's voice. There's something that is happening behind the scene that your life can't maybe see. Even though we want to hear God's direction, even though we want God to guide us in that moment, even when we want to hear his audible voice, we want someone to come and talk to us and tell us, hey, the Lord told me to tell you this. Sometimes it's not going to happen. There's going to be moments in our life where God is silent. But you just have to trust him. And God and Christ had to come to a moment, you read in verse 46, where he finally says, in the middle of his pain, he says this, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. He still hadn't heard the voice of God from his prayer. And he finally has an inward resolve, and he says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. You see, you can't see all that God is doing behind the scenes. You might not always hear. I'm reminded of of, of the words of Job. In Job chapter 23, it says this, verse 8. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. But he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. You see, The problem you're going through right now, it may be a test that God is just purifying your heart in that moment. You may not hear his voice, but he's purifying you. He's helping you. Don't let your circumstance pull you into a dead end. Because you know what a dead end is? It's where you feel hopeless. A dead end is something where you feel like it's humanly impossible for something amazing to happen. My marriage will never come back together. I'll never get this job. I'm never going to graduate. I'm never going to see this dream fulfilled. I'm never going to get that position. Don't get there. Don't put a dead end. Don't put a dead end, but just keep your eyes focused on Christ that just because he's not saying something doesn't mean that he's not at work behind the scenes. He is. He is. Can I tell you, I've personally discovered There's been moments in my life where I've put a period and God only intended for it to be a comma, that it was just a pause, that I just put, I kind of put all hope and I closed the door, but God in his sovereignty was still at work. He was still working. Even though I couldn't hear him, even though I might not have been able to see him, he was still at work. (laughs) Can you stand with me tonight? Your problem can easily become God's opportunity to do something amazing. God's specialty, God's specialty is turning a crucifixion into a resurrection. God's specialty is taking something even when you can't hear him, when the door is shut and you think that you've lost everything. God's specialty is working behind the scenes of that circumstance when you don't hear the voice of God. He's working behind the scenes for your good. But you just, you just have to trust him. You just have to trust him. I'll share this last story because it's just too good 
and I'm going to dismiss. So just hold with me, if you, if you will. Just hold with me. I promise you'll be out. You'll be on your way to Las Palapas in a couple of minutes. I promise. Y'all are laughing, but you know it's true. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, during that same time in 2005, it was just, just it was a trying season for us as a family. Just, just a lot of things. I can give you a list of it, but, but I found myself flying from from Dallas to Phoenix. I got on a plane and I flew, and we landed in Albuquerque. I didn't have to get off the plane. I was taking the same plane on to to uh, Phoenix, but you know, you, you stay on the plane, you just have a few minutes, you know, they just get everyone back on, on the bus and they just want to get you out right away. So I turned on my phone for about maybe a window of 10 minutes and I get a call from a 210 number. I have no idea who this is. I open my phone, I, I open my flip phone, y'all remember those? Yeah, what if I had that big old phone, you know, big old old school phone, you know? Anyways, I digress. But I opened my flip phone. Thanks, bro. I opened my flip phone, and I didn't know who it was. And I said, hello. And she goes, is this Mark Molina? I said, yes, it is. Mark, this is Mrs. Vela. Now, listen. <laughs> Mrs. Vela is my first grade teacher. I have, not talked, I have not talked to her or seen her in probably 30 years. Now, when I was in, let me understand why there's such a connection. When I was in her class, she knew my dad was a pastor and in ministry. So, uh, so we got, became good friends that year and, and just kept up for a couple of years after that. But then, you know, I just never saw them or heard from them. Probably 30 years. So on the other side, she says, Pastor Mark, well, she said, Mark, I, I had to, to, to call you. I said, what, did I forget an assignment back then? You know, or am I still in trouble? What? <laughs> she goes, listen, the Lord just put you heavy on my the Lord put you heavy on my heart today. And I knew you worked, used to work at Westover Hill, so I called them and, and I finally convinced somebody to give out me your number because I had to talk to you. I just, I, I just want to tell you, I don't know what's going on, but God's in control and he's going to take care of you. And then we hung up and that was it. Listen, not coincidence. Though I probably felt that God was silent, that he'd closed doors, that, that I didn't get what I felt like I deserved and all those things. And I made this boohoo list. Can I tell you, God was behind the work, behind the scenes working for the good, for the good, for the good. He knows, church, he knows. So I just want to encourage you tonight. Don't put a dead end when, when you feel like God is silent because it doesn't mean that he's not working behind the scenes. I encourage you, just continue to trust him even when you can't see him sometimes. Continue to trust him. Would you bow your heads? My gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God. I thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness, God. That, Lord, that you are faithful, God, even, Lord, in times of distress, in times of stretching. When doors are shut, when we don't hear your voice, when we feel like everything's been taken away, God, you're still at work. You're still behind the scenes. And Lord, it's my prayer that tonight, that when we go through those moments, for those that may be going through that moment tonight, God, that you would just encourage them, dear Lord, that you are still sovereign and that you are still on the throne and that you're still in charge and your promises are yes and amen. God, I pray, God, that we would learn to continue to trust in you even when things don't go the way we think they should go. 
that we would trust in you in every single aspect of our life. God, I pray for your people. I pray that you would guide them. For those that may be going through something tonight, let them know, God, that you're still there, that you haven't forgotten about them, that you're going to walk them through it. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your never-ending love and your never-ending faithfulness in our lives. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray, and everyone said, amen, amen. Would you give the Lord a praise clap offering tonight? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We'll see you this weekend. Go in God's love.